Thank you for listening to our podcast from our Easter worship experience. This message is from the Resurrected King, where we dive deeper into the death and resurrection of Christ. And now here is our lead pastor, Pastor Travis Davenport. Do any of us ever feel like this place, this, this is not our home? Do you ever feel that way? You just, just feel sometimes like, I am not meant for here. I'm meant for something different. I think sometimes we have this, this, um, this I don't know, this internal realization where we, we come to this place where we're like, I'm not meant for here. You know, I'm meant for greater. And sometimes I think we try to put that I'm meant for greater into working harder to achieve things here. But I don't know if you've ever come to a place where you've worked harder to achieve things here as on earth. And then once you achieve said things, you realize I don't feel any more full than I did when I started. And I want you to understand that, that part of the reason for that is because you were not meant for here. And so even the achievements that you have, even the successes that you enjoy, even the, the bank account or the, the house or the relationship, you know, whatever it might be that you really strive for, once you get it, although it's satisfying, it's not ever ultimately satisfying. And so that's what Romans is, is about in, in, in a way, and, and Paul is speaking to that in this passage. Um, and I want to read it to you just to start off our time together. It's kind of lengthy, but I think it's important. Romans 5, if you could just look up at the screen. If you brought a copy of Scripture, you can turn it on or open it up. If you're listening via podcast, please do neither. Just listen. <laughs> um, we don't want to be responsible for that. Um, here we go. Verse 12 says this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because, say this with me, all sin. Say that with me, all sin. We don't like to say that, do we? You're like, I'm not a sinner. Yes, you are. All right, verse 13. We all are. Verse 13. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. By the way, pause. You know who Adam was, right? You know who Adam is? First man, God created Adam. You know what this transgression is, right? He sinned. That's the, the first sin, transgression that we see in humanity. That's what he's speaking of here. And then verse 15 says this. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Verse 17, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Come on now. Verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, that's us, Adam, and that's us. So by the one man, that's Jesus, obedience, the many will be made righteous. That's us as well. 
Now, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, we read that passage, we hear that passage, we look at that passage, and it might be a little confusing, and I understand that. It's kind of a, it's kind of a very strong, maybe condensed uh, passage of scripture. It's kind of like one of those meals where you pour in a little water. You know what I mean? You ever been to college before where that's what you buy? Uh, yeah, exactly. You pour in some water, you stick it in a microwave, and all of a sudden what once was powder is now a three-course meal. And you're like, where did that come from? Number one, let me tell you, that's not really food, okay? Number one. No, no, when, there's so much there, and you condense it. And what Paul has done is he's condensed so much truth down into this one small passage. Theologians would tell you that, that this passage of Scripture is something like a, a beautiful orchestrated piece of music. They would say that Paul has crafted a, a beautiful piece of art. It's beautiful artistry here, what he has done. We read it, and it's a little confusing because there's so much there. Um, and I'm going to explain that to you in a, in a second. But the first three things I want you to write down are this. Number one, number one, write this down. We see three things. The entrance of sin. Number one, the entrance of sin. Number two, the entrance of death. Number three, the spread of death because all have sinned. The first three things, verses 12 through 14, that we really see are the entrance of sin, the entrance of death, the spread of death because all have sinned. I'm going to come back to that in a second. Um, this past week, to be honest with you, was a little bit emotional for me, for my wife to a degree. Uh, earlier in this week, <clears throat> some of our friends called us and let us know that they unexpectedly were pregnant. Um, nothing like an unexpected pregnancy, right? This is not my wife. This is not us. We're not having any more children. That stops here and now. That is over. Amen and Amen. Now, we love our kids, all 25 of them. And, um, <laughs> um, no, they called us and they said they're unexpectedly pregnant. We were so excited for them. And it's just, oh, yeah, you know. And were you trying? No, we weren't even trying. It's crazy. Is that okay? Yeah, it's okay. We're excited. And, and I kid you not, just moments later, we then got news that another uh, group of our friends, another family, that, that a family member had passed away unexpectedly passed away, and very seriously. And so you kind of are like here, you're excited, and then you get the news about this, and then you're like down, and I, and I don't really know if you've ever had like an emotional roller coaster of a day. Have you ever had one of those? Where it's like things are great, then things are really hard, and you're excited for your friends who are, who are going through something great, and you're hurting for your, for your friends that are going through something difficult. And I, and I just felt, honestly, I felt like God was really speaking to me in that moment because in that moment, all in one day, were life and death. Life and death in one day. And, and the thing about life and death is that they're at complete ends of the spectrum from one another. Would you agree? Like life is here, death is here. And all of us, we're somewhere in between. Now, I don't know where you are um, on your stance of life. I'm pretty sure that you're, you're pro-life. You're all here, okay? Uh, I'm saying, like, like, you believe in life. Like, you believe that people are alive. Would you say it? That's what I'm talking about. Would you agree with me? Yes? 
You've been, you are alive, so you are for life. Okay. But when you talk about death, that's something that's very interesting. If you've ever had a conversation with somebody about death, you get a couple reactions. Number one, you might get um, like what I would call the hot topic reaction, right? Hot topic, you ever dressed it or gone and shopped at hot topic? Those are people who are way into death. You know what I'm talking about? They want to talk to you about death. Like, excuse me, can I talk to you about death a little bit? No, please keep your black mascara away from me. Um, I don't need any of that. Um, no offense. Uh, I'm just saying you're weird. Um, so the fact of the matter is, like, some people just want to talk to you about death. They're fascinated by it. But other times you talk to people and they just don't want anything to do with it, which is understandable. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to be around it. And there's a couple reasons for this. I think, number one, maybe they've been affected by death, right? Maybe somebody very close to them has passed away. Or, or maybe just talking about death brings up some reactions that they don't like, some feelings, rather, that they don't like. They don't, they don't like thinking about death because they don't, they don't like thinking about how death will take place in their life. They don't, they don't like thinking about it, maybe, because they don't know what's going to happen after death. I mean, after death, that's the big question mark, isn't it? Is it not? And so the fact is, we are like pro-life, but we're not pro-death. Like, we'll talk about life. Everybody wants to talk about the new baby. Like, who's having a baby? Oh, they're having a baby. That baby's so cute. Can I hold your baby? I don't like the whole babies. I'm going to have a baby, you know. When it comes to death, we'd stay away from that topic. And in this one day, my wife and I experienced the range of emotions, life and death, life and death, life and death, life and death, and just one day. And what Paul is doing in verses specifically 15 through 21, 22, is he is painting this great juxtaposition. Life, death, life, death. He's comparing and contrasting. If you don't know about a juxtaposition, a juxtaposition is, is when you take two or more unlike things and, and you cram them together and they bump up against each other for the purpose of comparison and contrasting. Okay? So life, Death. You put those together, that's a juxtaposition. It allows, you to, it allows you to compare them, allows you to contrast them. And this is what Paul is doing all throughout Romans 5. And, and he starts in verse 12, um, I'm sorry, verse 15 through 21. He starts in verse 12 by, by stating three things. He says, number one, there's the entrance of sin. Number two, there's the entrance of death. And number three, there's the spread of death because all sin has spread to mankind. And so first off, he paints this picture before he gets into the juxtaposition, okay? He paints this picture, the entrance of sin. Now, those of you who, who may not know or may need a, a little bit of a refresher course, don't forget that sin entered into the world, and Scripture makes it clear, Paul makes it clear, because of one man. One man. His name is Adam. Now, Adam gets the, gets the weight of it, even though, in my opinion, it was Eve's fault. But I'm just saying... It, came, it comes to Adam, right? And, and, and here's what may be a fair question, because maybe you would say, well, Travis, I don't really like, it says that we've all sinned because Adam sinned. That's not fair, because I don't remember taking a bite out of that apple. Fair point. Because maybe for most of you, you'd be like, listen, man, I wouldn't have listened to that girl. I would not have listened to Eve. I mean, like, if she came to me, I just would have been like, no, I'm not going to eat that apple. You did. You're gone. Now I can take down all these flowers and make this place a real paradise, okay? <laughs> right? Maybe that's you. But the fact of the matter is, Scripture says that we are all in Adam. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means something very specific. Let me ask. How were you created? Don't answer. How were you created? Did God lean over and pick up a handful of dirt and, and breathe life into it? No. 
you were created in a different way, correct? The only one who was created that way was Adam. And so we were all in Adam in that manner. Does that make sense? So when Adam sinned, it affected all of us who were in him. You're like, that's unfair. I understand. But because of Adam, because sin entered in the world, the next thing enters into the world, death. And here's what I want you to know about sin. Sin will always lead to death. Sin will never lead to life. Sin always leads to death. Now, the unfortunate, uh, the unfortunate thing about this is that Adam and Eve were walking and talking daily with God. You know, sometimes it's difficult because we feel like we're alone. You know what I mean? Sometimes, I don't know if you've ever been in a place where you just want to talk to somebody, where you just want to like, what does God think about this? What would God say about this? I wish I had ultimate counsel. I wish I had somebody who could comfort me, right? Well, Adam and Eve, they just walked with God. Can you imagine having God at your disposal? Like, hey, God, I really need help with this problem. I really need, and God's like, yeah. I mean, I'm infinitely smart, so what do you need, right? But then the moment that they sinned, that relationship is cut, it's severed. Why? Because sin entered into the world. What does sin do? Sin severs the relationship between God and man. You say, why does it happen? Well, because God is holy, which means that he is perfectly righteous, which means that there is no sin in him. Scripture tells us that God dwells in unapproachable light, We can't even get close to God because of sin. Adam and Eve couldn't even continue to have the same relationship that they one time had had with God because sin, because we have sin. So we can't be in God's presence because God is so holy, no sin can be around him. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Yeah. Now, the next thing that happened was Adam and Eve, their days were numbered. All of a sudden, because of sin, death enters into the world. Death had not been in the world. Can you imagine a world where there's no death? That's the world where Adam and Eve lived. And then all of a sudden there's more people and all of a sudden then because all mankind has sinned, then death spreads to all mankind. And so we have these three problems that Paul addresses starting in verse 12. It's the problem of sin, the problem of death, and the problem of death that spreads because of sin. What do we do about this? And then in verse 15, he begins to paint this beautiful picture. This, he begins to construct this incredible piece of art that is truth. And he does it through, by way of juxtaposition. He, he does it by way of com- comparing and contrasting. Look at verse 15. He begins by saying this, verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. There's a compare and contrast. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Another one. See, number one, he comes out and he says, here's this, here's this uh, juxtaposition, here's this contrast and comparison. He lists two people. Number one, Adam, and number two, Jesus. It's a juxtaposition. Number two, he talks about, he moves under the action. With Adam, there's an act of trespass. With Jesus, there's an act of obedience. The trespass that Adam enacted was that he sinned, that he ate of the apple. What was the, what was the trespass that Jesus cleared? What was the act of obedience, rather, that Jesus went through to clear out this, this, this transgression? Jesus was obedient and dying on the cross. So where in one act, one man, Adam, brought sin Now in one act, one man, Jesus, brought life. You see the juxtaposition? You see the comparison? You see the contrast there? 
Next, he talks about the influx of many transgressions versus the clearing away of all transgressions. That's a big deal. He talks about the law on one side, and he talks about the grace of God on the other. All of these points contrasting in nature on either ends of the spectrum, yet they are all, once again, inextricably linked to the entirety of the human existence. If I were to make a main statement today, I would say this. Easter is a season of juxtaposition. Easter is truly a season of juxtaposition. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, let me show you exactly what that means. And, it's, and here's the thing. It's ridiculous. Can I just be honest with you? It's a ridiculous juxtaposition. It's, it's ridiculous. And I'm saying that because Here's one of the first ones. We talk about the Easter season. The creator came and dwelled with his creation. God, the creator, came into this earth, came into this world, and lived and walked and breathed and talked with his creation. That is utterly and completely ridiculous. We see the birth of Jesus Christ entering into this world being raised by people. Do you know how ridiculous that is? Jesus born as a baby. God born as a child, raised by, by people. The creator comes into the world that he created. The next juxtaposition for the season of Easter, the God who everything and everyone is subject to, subjected himself to be arrested and tried. And I'm guessing you know the story of Easter, and, and because of that, I'm guessing you know that Jesus is, is arrested in the garden with his friends. Remember Peter? Peter gets so mad, he chops some dude's ear off. You always need a friend like Peter. You know that, right? If you're out just going, get, make sure you get a friend like Peter. He's the one who'll get in trouble for you. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's always the dude to chop somebody's ear off. And what's Jesus do? Jesus is like, Peter, what you? He just, so he just leans over, puts the ear back on the guy's head. You need a friend like Jesus, too. I'm just throwing that out there as well. But Jesus, who is God, who is in control, who is the ultimate authority in control of everything, everything is subject to him, right? He subjects himself to these men who have come to arrest him. Juxtaposition. An all-powerful God allows himself to be killed. Think about that. See, because Jesus is taken into captivity and, and they try him, we know the story. He stands before the very people that he, he loves, that he came to save, that, that he had healed many of them, and, and they shout, crucify him. Crucify him. Kill him. And if you know the other man in the story, his name is Barabbas, and he's a thief, and he's a liar. They say, give us Barabbas, free Barabbas, but kill that one, kill Jews, Jesus. He's, he's the king of the Jews. He's a liar. And so this king, who is completely all-powerful, allows himself to be killed by his own creation. Now, you know the story, right? Jesus is whipped, he's beaten, he's, he's punched, he's mocked. They, they make a crown of thorns and they shove it down onto his head and blood drips from him. They put a reed in his hand and throw uh, garments over him and pretend that he, they, they mock him and say, oh, here comes the king, here is the king. Look at the king, the king of the Jews. And Jesus takes it. That is ridiculous. 
Can you, can you, we can't, I can't, we can't get this. We can't understand this. Can you understand having ultimate power to open your mouth and have universes created and yet have somebody spitting in your face saying, here comes the king. If he's the king, have him come off the cross. If he's really God, have him save himself. All the while, you're like, man, I'm, I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this for you. Don't you understand? I'm, I'm dying for you. I have to do this so that you can be saved. So go ahead. You spit on me. Go ahead. Shove the spear in my side. Go ahead. Nail me to a cross. Do whatever you have to do. I'm, I'm, I'm doing this for you. And the ridiculousness is that he could have at any point in time done anything he wanted to do. An all-powerful God subjects himself to that. But here's where, in my opinion, we can, set, we can begin to celebrate as, as followers of Christ. Here's where the, the juxtaposition, if you will, begins to get crazy because Jesus died. Now, before I get into that, let's just kind of talk about this because some, I think sometimes we have this way of viewing Scripture like, it, well, like we read it, like we believe it, you know? But we've read it so much, we know it as well as maybe like Sleeping Beauty or maybe as well as I don't know, fill in your favorite fairy tale. And so we kind of view it that way. It's not that we don't believe it, but it's just we've read it so many times, maybe we're numb to it, okay? So let me maybe put a new spin on this that maybe you haven't thought of before. I want you to think about the fact that Jesus died. You know what that, that, that means? I need you to realize this. There was a point where Jesus was on the cross where his heart was beating and then it stopped, okay? Jesus' heart stopped beating. He died. All the air from his lungs escaped his body as he felt the pain of dying. Then they took Jesus down off the cross and they wrapped him up. They put him in an empty tomb. They rolled a stone over the front. And after this funeral service, what you have to understand is they, these people who loved Jesus, like we love Jesus, but you're not related to Jesus. Jesus wasn't your brother. Jesus wasn't your son. Jesus wasn't somebody who you were like, man, this guy, I was a fisherman, and then this guy came and he showed me things I never thought could be, you know, I could even know, and he, he rescued me from this life. So, like, I'm following him. They, they talked with him. They ate with him. They slept next to him out in the middle of a desert. These... These were the people that followed Jesus. You get that, right? And these were the people at that funeral who were just broken. They mourned the loss. Like Jesus was absolutely, unequivocally dead. He was dead. But here's where the story gets good. I mean, I don't know how heaven works. I don't know completely how it works. I hope it has DVR, though. Because I'm telling you, I want to go back to the moment. I want to go to that one moment where all of a sudden, this dead Jesus wrapped in a tomb, where all of a sudden his heart beat again. You know what I mean? Where all of a sudden life entered back in. Or once his heart stopped beating, now all of a sudden there's a boom, 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 boom. And all of a sudden the breath 
fills him again. And he takes that first breath of life after death. You know what I mean? I want to see that moment. Because in that moment, our Savior rose from the dead. And here's the juxtaposition. Because the tomb that they laid him in was a symbol for death. But Jesus is so good that he flipped it and made a symbol for life. What they used to crucify him was a symbol for death. But Jesus flipped it and made it a symbol for life. Now here's how you know. Some of you this morning walked in with a cross around your neck. That would be ridiculous if not for Jesus. That would be the equivalent of me wearing an electrical chair around my neck. Because it's a device used to kill people. That has no meaning apart from Jesus. See, what, what, what the cross meant for evil, what the cross meant, or I'm sorry, where are the, what our enemy meant for evil, Jesus meant for good. The cross would meant, was meant to be a murderous device. Jesus was like, oh, is that the best you got? I'm gonna make it a signal for hope for all the nations to come, for all the generations to come. You're gonna stick me in a tomb. That's gonna be a place of death. I'm gonna turn it into a place of life. And now it's gonna be a symbol because every single Easter, we're gonna say an, an empty, open tomb. What does that stand for? It stands for life. And that's the juxtaposition. And only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus has done that. Nobody else could ever do that. An act that was supposed to bring death brought life. Easter is a season of juxtaposition. And and so what I want you to understand is why Jesus had to do that. Because you're like, well, I thought that sin brought death. Yes, good point. But guess who's never sinned? Jesus. So sin was never in Jesus. Therefore, Jesus never had to die. Really? You need to die. I need to die. Because we've sinned. We have sin in our life. Jesus volunteered to die. There's no sin in Jesus. Jesus voluntarily laid down his life for you in exchange for your sin. Now that doesn't make sense. Hey, give me all the stuff that's awful about you, and I'm going to, in exchange, give you complete forgiveness, love, and eternal life with me. That doesn't make sense. Apart from the grace of God and his love for us. Some of us have walked in here this morning. Broken. You know? Now, let's just be honest. We're going to be really honest. Let's just really be honest. Some of us today, we have stuff going on in our life that A, maybe we're ashamed of. B, maybe we want to deal with it. Or or C, maybe it's just so much that we don't even want to be here or anywhere. You get my drift? So let's just be real. Some of us this morning, we're broken. Guess what? Maybe you're not broken. But maybe in your life, you are lost. You don't even know what you're supposed to do with your life. You don't even know where you're supposed to fit in. You're in a relationship, then he dumped you. You're in a relationship, then she left you. You're married to somebody, now you're divorced. You're in a marriage you don't like. It's crazy, whatever it is. Maybe that's not you. Maybe you've got it all together. Maybe things are good, the bank account's tight, wife is good, kids are in line, job is on point. But you pull the covers up at the end of the night 
And you have these moments where you're not in control because all of a sudden control slips through your fingers because you start to think, is this all that there is to life? What, what happens after this? And you don't go there often because you can't stand it. You can't take it. You're not in control of that. So what do you do? You pour yourself in your job. You pour yourself in your family. You pour yourself in your career. You pour yourself into making sure this is on point, this is good, this is good, because it gets your mind off the distraction that you have no idea what you were created for or what's going to happen to you after you die. So you just don't think about it, man. And when you do, you work harder. I'm just telling you, that's where most of us are, one of those categories. So let's just drop the charade that everything's good, Easter Sunday, looking on fleek, I'm good, everything's good. I even wore a tie today, right? Did my hair, brushed my teeth. And the fact of the matter is, man, we're broken. We're broken. Here's the thing that Jesus does. He sees past your facade. He sees past your makeup. He sees past your suit and tie. He looks inside of you. He says, you're hurt, you're broken. And so here's the great juxtaposition. You come in hopeless, and Jesus says, I have hope. You come in mourning, and Jesus says, I have joy. You come in with pain, Jesus says, I have healing. You come in with emptiness, and Jesus says, I have wholeness. You come in broken, Jesus says, I'll make you new. You come in a slave to your sin, Jesus says, I offer you freedom. You come in in bondage to your addictions, to your slavery. Some of you men, man, I love you, but you are addicted to things that would make people look at you differently. And you are in the dark about it and you would be terrified to tell anybody about it and it's got ownership of you. It grips you in the night. That's slavery. Jesus came to make you free. Jesus. Many walk in here with death and Jesus offers life. This is why in 1 Corinthians 15, 54, we see this verse. It says, death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Who can say this but Jesus Christ? Because for us, death is a stinging thing. For us, death is a victory that it holds over us until we come to Jesus Because when we come to Jesus, he sets us free. What does that mean? It means right now, immediately where I stand, I am free. I am saved. I am justified right now in the immediate that I accept Christ. I am free from sin. I'm free from my past sin. I'm free from my current sin. And I am free and forgiven from my future sin. That is justification. But salvation is not just once. Salvation is an everyday thing. Not in that you have to get saved every day, but that just continues on for you. So I am saved, but it also means I am going to continue to be saved, which means God's grace for me doesn't run out. God's love for me doesn't run out because I'm already forgiven. And it also means salvation, ultimately, one day I will be saved, which means one day I will be in heaven with my Savior. I am justified in the moment. I grow through sanctification, but I am saved. I am being saved, and one day I will ultimately be saved. Does that make sense? That only happens through Jesus. And what I'm telling you is that some of you today need to begin that journey. What is holding you back? 
And listen, I'm not going to paint Christianity as some perfect, beautiful, rosy pictures where you just wake up and there's ice cream for you in the morning. That's heaven. I'm just saying that would probably be heaven, all right? That's not the way it is. Like, being a Christian today, it can be a very difficult thing. And you're like, how? Ask our friends who are outside of America, who are suffering for their faith. Ask, ask people in America who are scared to stand up for what they believe in. It's becoming increasingly more difficult to be a Christian every day. But what I'm telling you is, just because it's becoming more difficult to be a Christian doesn't mean you should not step up and become a Christian. You, you, you are saved, you are forgiven. And, and Jesus says that the only way to God is through him. He says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. Point being this, some of you have walked in broken with this stuff. And what I want you to know is that Jesus will take it from you. He'll forgive you. But it's not gonna be easy. It's gonna take you surrendering your desires Man, you're gonna have to surrender those, some of those addictions. You're like, I can't do that. You're right, you can't. That's why you need Jesus. Because Jesus, through you, empowers you to be, uh, to be stronger than those addictions. You see what I'm saying? You're like, I don't have a passion to read the Bible. That's right, you don't have the Holy Spirit. Jesus, through you, and giving you the Holy Spirit, will ignite a passion for the word of God, a passion to pray. You'll begin doing things that you didn't even think you'd do. You begin like loving people, which is a byproduct of being, being a Christian, knowing Jesus. You begin caring about people that you have never cared about. And, be like, and then you'll, it'll hit you like, oh man, I'm a Christian, aren't I? You know what I mean? Why do I care about that? Why am, why am I doing this right now? Oh, I know Jesus. You know what I mean? It changes you. You want to change your marriage? Come to Jesus. You want to change your life? Come to Jesus. You want to know your purpose, your passion for life? Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. This is a love that you cannot do without. Listen, man, you can't do this on your own. You can't do this on your own. What can you do to take away your sins? Jesus on the cross in that moment dying for you, conquering death by rising again, he took your sins. Your sins are forgiven. You just got to reach out and accept that gift of grace. Are you with me? Today, Scripture says today is the day of salvation. Today's your day. Thank you for listening to this message from our Easter worship experience at Covenant Church. We hope you were impacted by the message today. If you'd like to invest in life change through this ministry, you can visit us online at covenantchurch.us forward slash give.